This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm recording here live in Park City, Utah. And for those that don't know, we've got this sort of uh, 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 room set up with multiple podcasts going on. Me, three, four other guys that are that are doing podcasts. Uh, just to kind of meet and greet and get to know some of the GoBundance folks out there. And my guest today is one of the guys running that podcast. I'm going to read his bio because it's pretty significant. Dr. Richard Schuster is a clinical psychologist, TEDx speaker, and CEO of Your Success Insights, which helps individuals, corporations, and athletes achieve balance and peak performance. He's also the host of The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster, Food for the Brain, Knowledge from the Experts, Tools to Win at Life, which is regularly downloaded in over 150 countries. Dr. Schuster's clinical experience uh, expertise, excuse me, and podcasts have been featured in publications like the Huffington Post, NBCNews.com, Men's Health, Cosmopolitan, and others. He's also the president of Every Kid Rocks, Inc., a 501c3, which helps schools provide therapy services to children. Doing a lot of stuff, my friend. A lot of stuff. Well, welcome. Thank you. It's well, great to be here. All right. So yesterday... We were talking, we were sitting down and chatting, uh, or I guess standing up and chatting, uh, just because we were between podcasts or whatever, and you mentioned a phrase that really triggered the, the desire for me to have you on to talk about this, because you deal with peak performance, you deal with, with helping people get to that next level. It was, you have technology around work-life balance, mm -hmm. technology around work-life, amongst other categories, but that one in particular kind of struck me. Can you explain what that means? What is technology around work-life balance? You know, it's funny. I'm going to go back in time a bit and kind of set this up. So when I started my podcast, I was still practicing as a clinician. So my training, I'm a clinical psychologist with subspecialties in forensic neuropsychology. Mm. And so I was working principally with sexually abused kids. And the legal system in Georgia would come to me and say, Dr. Schuster, we want you to evaluate this child and build a roadmap to put this kid back together, sure. basically. Heavy and a big responsibility, and I would, you know, hear some horrible stuff and go home and hug my kids really tightly every day. But I felt like I could do more, like I could have a larger impact. And so I bought one of these, <laughs> bought a microphone yeah. on Amazon and decided to start a show, and nobody knew who I was. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then one day, NBC reached out to me, and somehow a reporter had come across my show and they said, well, you're a brain guy. We want to do some articles, a series of articles on the brain at yeah. NBC. What happens to your brain when you watch football? And what happens to your brain when you go to the beach or learn a foreign language? And so somehow, and this might have been the smartest thing I ever did outside of marrying my wife, was I had them link to my show in the article. And so all of a sudden, literally, it was just like friends and family listening to me, right. to everybody listening to me. <laughs> And I had imposter syndrome around that. And, yeah. and so, you know, these guys who were on my bookshelves, you know, the, the success principles, which I had read a gazillion yeah, times, yeah. you know, Jack Canfield's people reach out to me and they say, we want him on your show. So externally, I'm saying, well, what led you to the Daily Helping? Right. Inside, I'm saying, why the hell does Jack Canfield want to come on my show? 
But when enough of those guys started reaching out and saying the same answer, well, you're one of the bigger you know, influencers in personal development. Yeah. The first thing I had to do was Google what an influencer was. Yeah, After yeah. I did that, I was like, okay, if I'm really this guy, then I have a responsibility to leverage my platform to help as many people as I can. Sure. And so I had a background in technology. My kind of first business that I started myself was an IT company. I want a contract with a DOD when I was way too young to have anything like that happen to me. And so I understood technology. I understood assessments because that was my world as a clinician. I really wasn't a therapist. I was the assessor. Mm. And I would use empirically based tools to determine baseline levels of functioning and then use that data to build paths forward to people to get better. But I hated the industry, Jamie. It, it's a very greedy industry. It's pejorative. How so? Give me, give me what sure. you mean by that. Yeah. So it's an $8 billion or so industry, largely controlled by two companies. Many of the assessments, and you can't just go off the street and take them. Like if you wanted to take an IQ test or some uh, a measure on substance abuse, you couldn't do it. Right. There are gatekeepers in place where you have to get access to them. So a lot of times people who need access to resources can't get them. Mm. And even if they could get them, they couldn't afford them. You'd have to pay somebody like me three to $5,000 to make sense of it to you, right? Right, right? And then beyond that, many of the tools that exist are designed really to show what's wrong with people. Yeah. And so I wanted to be the Michael Dell of this space. And I was very intentional about that because he was such a disruptor sure. in, in the, the PC space, which I knew very well from my, my earlier days in IT work. And so I built this technology company on, on four pillars. That one, everything I built was going to be affordable and accessible. Two, I was going to do everything algorithmically based so that the things would be self-scoring and self-interpreting. So you didn't need a middleman. You didn't need a high-level consultant or you didn't need a doctor to make sense of the data to you. Sure. Three, we were going to highlight what was awesome about people as well as their roadblocks. And four, I was going to reward people financially who helped me help others. And so we got started in trauma. That was our, our first place, was trauma for veterans, trauma for first responders. We then moved into addiction recovery. I, I've got the only instrument in the world that not only helps people find those resiliency factors likely to keep them sober, but also can address things like the impact of racial discrimination on their addiction. Very, very unique in the space. We're doing a lot with peak performance and athletes from, you know, as young as the sixth grade all the way up to the professional levels, talent retention and corporations. And we were good, right? I was so happy with our verticals. In fact, I remember a conversation with JJ Virgin after she came on my show the second time. And she said, stay out of the consumer marketplace. Mm. It's just, it's too much of a mess. Stick with what you're doing. Stay in these, you know, these other places. And so the work-life balance thing came about after something that happened to me in June of 2020. And so to kind of set the backstory for that, I was killing it. I was literally at the top of my game. I just had my two best consecutive quarters ever. And this is like in the midst of the early pandemic right. when, when we were still Lysoling our kids and our groceries, <laughs> right? And so, yes. you know, I, I just did my first TED Talk and like everything was, was on all cylinders. Mm. And so I go to bed about two in the morning. I wake up, and I didn't feel right. Something was not right with me. And so instinctively, I, I ripped the pillow out from under my, my wife's head. My wife is a very wonderful Southern girl from Charleston. And 
Southern girls love their sleep. And yeah. she was, I won't, I won't say the word she used, but she was not happy with me when, when I ripped out her pillow. And what I should have said was, something's wrong, I need help. The words that came out of my mouth were, I'm sorry. And she rolled her eyes and went back to bed. And so I went back to bed, mm. not knowing what had happened to me. Three hours later, and this is probably what was one of two things in this journey that saved my life, our puppy started barking. Yep, 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 yep. He's in his cage and he's barking. And so we were trying to crate train this dog unsuccessfully, I might add. And so it was, <laughs> it, was, it was my shift, right? And so I get out of bed and I'm not quite steady. And, you know, we were joking about this beforehand. Like I'm not super athletic anyway, but I was less coordinated than usual. Sure. And so we get, I get downstairs and, and the dog had chosen to relieve himself in the cage. And that's a two-person job, right? Yeah, yeah. So I get back up the stairs and I tell my wife what happened. She shoots up immediately. You're slurring your words. Mm. I am? Huh, okay, well, you know, so that's interesting. And so it, it still didn't dawn on me, like, what, what had really happened? And we get downstairs, we get the dog, carry the dog to the front of the house, and I put him on the leash and I pull up my cell phone because it's the middle, you know, it's 5.30 in the morning and I can't see anything. I was going to turn on my flashlight and I realized, Jamie, I had no idea how to use that cell phone. Wow. And that's when it hit me like the kid in the sixth sense, like all the clues are there. Boom. Unsteady. Boom. My speech is slurred. Boom. I don't know how to use the cell phone. Holy shit. I've had a stroke. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm realizing not only have I had a stroke. I had the stroke at 2.30 in the morning or so. When you said, I'm sorry. And so I realized that my brain had been bleeding for about three hours. Jeez. And so now panic is starting to set in because I, this is what I do, right? Like I understand this yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, and so we grab the kids and throw them in the car and they're confused and they're, you know, they're upset. And my wife is crying. We drive to the nearest hospital and she drops me off because they don't let you in, Right. They had a plastic tent with a woman in a hazmat suit. And basically, it's kind of like, you have to sell yourself on why you need to get into the hospital. I said, well, I'm pretty sure I've had a stroke. And she asked me my symptoms, and I said the stuff. And so they took me into the COVID part of the hospital, and they you know, stuck the thing all the way up my nose to my brain. And then they're like, all right, you don't have COVID. And they, they let me in. They gave me a CAT scan. The ER doctor comes and asks me a few questions. And then he said, well, I'll come back when the CAT scan comes back. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> CAT scans are interesting. There's different kinds of strokes, and they don't always show the kind of stroke that I had. Yeah. So he has this data, and he says, well, good news, young man. You didn't have a stroke. I'm discharging you. Mm. And I said to him, what? And, and you know, people who know me know that I'm generally not an in-your-face you know, kind of a guy. But in that moment, I, I heard the like the... Like Yoda, like the voice of my first uh, supervisor at my first job as a salesperson when I was 23, saying, like, if you're going to give somebody an ultimatum, you look them in the eyes and you don't say anything because whoever talks first is the one that most times will give in. And so I looked at this guy and I said to him, I said, listen to me very carefully. And I pointed at him. Yeah. I said, I know more about stroke than anybody in this room. I've trained at the Cleveland Clinic. I said, you know damn well that an, an ischemic stroke might not show on a CT, but an embolic. Well, an embolic stroke just basically means like a big, giant big, clot. Yeah, that, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. whereas an ischemic stroke is much more focalized. Sure. And so I said, you're going to give me an MRI, and you're going to get me blood thinners, and you're going to do it right now. Right. And I just stared at him. <laughs> and everybody in the room was tense. It was like this Old West Old kind West, of cut yes, light. It was exactly, exactly what it was like. <laughs> and he, he rolled his eyes. 
They said, okay, I'll give you your MRI. And the stroke, there's a part of your brain called the basal ganglia, and it's, it's involved with speech and motor movement. So if you see people with really advanced Parkinson's, sure. that's the part of the brain that gets impacted. So when the MRI came back and it showed the stroke, I missed my basal ganglia by less than a millimeter. Wow. Man. That's the difference yeah, between yeah. me being here and, and me not. It was that close. Yeah. And so by the time they got me fully admitted in the blood thinners, the damage was kind of done. You know, my, my speech at that point was pretty impaired. There was a huge, the whole left side of my face had this droop. Uh, my, my hands didn't work right. Like I, I couldn't use the voice assistant on my phone because it couldn't understand me. And even though in my mind, I did remember, oh, yeah, you use your thumb, thumbprint to access the phone. Yeah. Um, I couldn't text because in my mind, I knew the words I was trying to type, but my thumbs just couldn't hit anywhere near these letters. And so now, you know, at first, you, know, you go through these different waves of emotions. I'm fighting for my life. Like, I'm defending myself that, you know, look, I think I've had a stroke and you need to do these things to fix me. Yeah. But once I saw the actual MRI, then it's a different thing. And and then you you start wondering well, what does this mean? Is my you know can I podcast ever again? Right. Can I am I going to be able to have a livelihood? What, what you know you have no idea. And I'm sitting there, I'm lying, crying and crying in this hospital bed, like I don't know what's going to happen to me. Um, and then they you know they take me to the room and they they give me they start doing the treatment and um, that first night was really scary. Um, you know, they come to check on you every four hours, but a lot can happen in four hours. Sure, yeah. And, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, it's, it's the stroke is not usually what kills you. It's usually strokes are kind of like earthquakes. There's like these aftershocks, right? These things that happen after the fact. That's how Luke Perry died. It wasn't the first stroke that killed Luke Perry. It was these after effects of the stroke. Yeah. Wow. And okay. so that night, I didn't sleep. I was too, too afraid to go to sleep. I didn't think I would wake up. And then, so I'm holding this picture on my phone that I had scrolled through too. It took me a while to get to the picture just because mechanically yeah. my hands weren't sure. great. But I had this picture of my puppy and my wife and my two kids and I just stared at this picture all night long saying just stay alive, stay alive. And I, I made it right to the next morning, obviously yeah. I'm here. And then, you know, like the way I'm kind of wired is like when something bad happens to me, I have like my few minutes in that crisis. And then when I'm after it, like the next day, it's like cue the Rocky montage. Like I'm ready to kick this thing in the ass. Yeah, yeah. And so I began my recovery, and and I did fully recover yeah. uh, and quickly. I um I would literally visualize. You know, I, I know that uh, you've got your tribe of millionaires here, and <laughs> Hal wrote the forward to your book. Hal's been on my show a couple of times, and I've been on his. And I, the Miracle Morning was a book that really changed my life. And visualization is something that is so amazing, and that I, I believe in so thoroughly. And I literally would spend eight to 12 hours a day with my eyes closed, seeing my brain rewire like an old telephone switchboard. Eight to 12 hours a day. Doing nothing, nothing but seeing, what else did I have to do, right? And, and seeing the neurons in my brain rewiring. Wow. Visualizing myself, I would say to myself, I am better than I was before and seeing myself on stage again and, yeah. and everything. Two weeks. In two weeks, I went from where I was to what I am now. And when, when yeah. that was over, and at the doctor, I, they, because I was young, and so, you know, when you think about people who have stroke, you think about people that are 300 pounds and that are smoking and all these things. Like, I should not have had a stroke physically. Like, I had my morning routine. I worked out. 
seven days a week, sometimes twice a day. I ate only, only organic foods I prepared myself. I had my whole meditation and gratitude practice and, and it, like checking every box. Right. Yeah, so I thought, yeah. right. And so they sent me to oncologists. Oh, he's got to have cancer. Or maybe it's his thyroid. It's sent him to the endocrinologist. Like I went to every ologist, Jamie. And I, I recognize this is the, the longest answer you've probably ever gotten no, to a question. This is, so I, this is I, great. There's, there's a couple of things I want to extract from it, but please keep yeah, going. Please I, keep I going. appreciate your latitude yeah. in letting me tell the story. And so when all the data came back, when all the data came back and I, I went with my wife to the neurologist to kind of get the recap. Yeah. And he's there and he's going over everything as well, Richard, all of your test results are negative. Mm. That's, that's good news, you know, but he said, let me ask you something. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, let me ask you a question. How many hours a week do you work? Mm. And I said, well, <laughs> you know, doc, let me stop you right there. I don't really work at all. He goes, oh, he said, oh, do you win the lottery? You know, rich grandma, like, what was the deal? I said, no, 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 you misunderstand me. I work for myself and I love what I, love I do. What I do. Yeah. So it's not really work. And it pissed him off. Yeah. Right. And so he's you're good at pissing off doctors. I've noticed. I, I am. Yeah, I, have a, a I have a, a lengthy habit of, of that. <laughs> yes. And so he said to me, he was mad. He says, Richard, let me ask, how many hours a week do you love what you do? Right. <laughs> and, what a great question. Isn't that good? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's and it amazing. was a perfect retort. And I said to him, about 80. Holy cow, man. And he said to me, well, this is what I'm going to tell you, and you can do whatever you want with this information. He said, stress caused your stroke. I don't care if you love what you do, work is work. That's the reward I wrote down here. Yeah. And the odds of what happening, what happened to you and you being how you are now are astronomical, that you're here and okay and you know, relatively perfectly functioning. It will happen again, or you'll have a heart attack. You're, you, know, you need to change your lifestyle. And my wife puts her hands puts her head in her hands, starts to cry. He'll never stop working, doctor. He's an animal, right? And so in that moment, I committed to God and, you know, the doctor and my wife. I said, all right, 25 hours a week max for the rest of my life. That's it. Wow. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. Yeah. But I, I knew I was going to have that commitment. And so, you know, that's a separate Well, why, tw why 25 real quick? I don't know. Just came to you. It just came to me. Okay. That, that's the number Fair that enough. popped into my that's head. Like, there yeah. was no, it wasn't like I had done, you know, a, a, a full literature right. review to see what the data suggested. Like, right, it was 25, just popped in there. Got it. And, and, and so, um, you know, I, I, when I went back to work and said to my team, I said, remember when I said we were never really going to be in the consumer space? I said, I lied. And I wanted to, I said, we're going to create the world's first empirically validated assessment on work-life balance. And I want to be the cautionary tale. I don't want what happened to me to ever happen to anybody else. Because, you know, my TED Talk was about, you know, my the kind of my origin story. Like, you know, Richard 2.0, basically, where I was like this, you know, real young prick who won that government contract at the age of 24. And then I broke my spine in a car accident. Jeez, you know? man. And, and, you know, again, like doctors told me, well, you're probably not going to do this, this, and this. And I, you know, told them no. And, you know, I know I do all those things. But... You know, it was it was this next thing that has defined who I am now because I, I think, you know, we as entrepreneurs, we use the journey, we use what we're building to romanticize and justify stupid things we do, right? Like we can say to ourselves, oh, I'm building this business to create a legacy and 
financial security for my wife and kids and make the world a better place. And so that's the rationale in our minds that we use to work till 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock total. That's what I did every night. Like I'm up at 5.30, I'm doing my morning stuff, right? And I hit it hard all day. I'd stop when the kids came home. I wasn't an absent parent. Like officially, I was there at the dinner table, but like I'm checking my phone, you know, during dinners when messages are coming in. Like this is, this was a path to destruction that I just narrowly avoided. And so I built that piece of technology, that algorithmically based tool to help people understand where they are and to be able to better take control of their lives. And I've built a whole set of systems. This is what my book's going to be about when it comes out this year. A whole set of systems that I use that I taught myself to go from the 80 to 25 and be more productive and actually make more money than I was when I was working 80. So now I want to talk about a couple of things. Well, I want to get into the work-life assessment. Let's go back to the vision first, if we yeah. could, please. Yeah, yeah. You're a doctor, yep. right? Dr. Richard. You, you, you know the brain. Yes. You visualize the neurons eight, 12 hours a day. Yeah. That sounds like woo-woo science to a lot of people, right? And I'll be honest with you, before I kind of, I don't know, set down the path to personal development myself, it always felt like a visualization, but man, I am fully bought in on it. Is there, I don't know, talk about visualization for a moment. Maybe there's something even scientific, really smart, you know, doctory stuff that you're going to say. I don't know, but talk about visualization. Why is it so powerful? Why is it impactful? Maybe you have uh, some reasons that you've, you've discovered in your time. I don't know. I'm just, I, I feel compelled to go there with you right no, now. No, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, I don't want to steal Hell's Thunder because this is his thing too. You sure, know? But, sure. Um, <laughs> visualization is really interesting because the brain can't differentiate what you're seeing in your mind's eye, so to speak, from, from reality. So there was a really cool study, and I don't remember what year this was done, but they took two high school basketball teams and these were, you know, not teams of kids that were going to play D1 basketball at Michigan State or Duke. These were just average kids that played basketball, right? right. And were yeah. probably never going to do anything beyond that. And so Group A would just, they'd practice and do their thing like normal. Group B, they visualized, they would visualize before every game, they'd close their eyes and they'd practice shooting free throws. They'd it, see themselves, the in ball their in their right. brain, yeah. the ball going in over and over again consistently. And they tracked these two teams over the course of the whole season. And again, it's not like Team B had, you know, 90% free throw shooters and we're just there. Like yeah. Team B consistently shot free throws at a radically higher rate than Team A. Um, they've done examples with runners where they have visualized them, you know, finishing at a certain time. They finish at a certain time. So the mind does not care. Like if you're feeding it good, you're feeding it good. You know, there's a part of our brain called the reticular activating system, which basically is kind of like radar. Like think about, you know, the Terminator. Yeah, and remember yeah. that scene where Arnold or the Terminator was in the bar and then it would like, he was like scanning the environment, yep. right? Yep. So that's what your reticular activating system does. It looks for things in your environment to pull towards whatever you're focused on. So if you're visualized and focused on really amazing things happening to you, that's what you're pulling towards you. You know, a great example I like to use in describing this is let's say you get a new car. Let's say you get like a toy. You got a, Jamie gets a brand new Toyota Camry, right? Isn't that sure, fun? Like sure. you're, you're a down to earth guy, you want a Toyota Camry. Yeah. And so you're, rocking down you know, the highway in your, your Toyota Camry, driving up there in Michigan on I-94, wherever you are. 
And so six. Oh, 96, I'm sorry. Uh, it's been a while since I've been up there. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's not, and you, you're now noticing all the Toyota Camrys on the car or sure. on the road, on the right? Road. Yeah. It's not that all of a sudden there's more Camrys on the road, but your mind is bringing awareness to that. Yeah. Now the other piece, you know, with respect to the healing piece, it's interesting. So the, so the woo woo stuff now, I, I'm not a quantum physicist, okay? So this, that's beyond the scope of what I can intelligently speak about. That's a little bit more Joe Dispenza, Joe Dispenza than me. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, he, he had kind of a similar deal, right? And so, you know, the uh, we're learning more all the time. But what we used to think was woo-woo and hippies and crystals and nonsense, mm. there is actually science behind it. Sure. And so, you know, the power of the mind you know, it is really quite remarkable. And, you know, for me, I was already, when this happened, entrenched in a, in a heavy visualization process. And so it was kind of easy for me to go there. In fact, I saw it. I was like, okay, like I'm taking control of my healing. Like I am a hundred percent going to get there and this is how I'm going to do it. I didn't know I would do it in two weeks. Sure, uh, sure. Admittedly, like that was that was kind of nuts, you know. Were you visualizing outcome or process, though? I both, wonder about both. that. And is that? Do you recommend that, or have you done that? Because I think I visualize in most my people practice, do outcomes. Outcome. Everybody does outcomes. Yeah. Like they see themselves, you know, having the house or having the zeros in the bank account. Um, I historically have done outcomes too. Sure, sure. But in this instance, it was both, and. You know, maybe that made a big difference. Do you do that now? Sometimes. Yeah? Like, if I'm going to, you know, keynote, and it's it's a keynote that's big and I want to make, well, I always try and do a good job. But, <laughs> Only on the big ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah right. The little ones, ah. Yeah, screw whatever. it. Yeah, no. But <laughs> I, I really, I'll see myself, you know, going through parts of that speech like it's happening, yeah. right? Like I'm walking on the stage and, you know, I've really nailed the audience's attention or something. Um so there are instances, but I, I really, and it's funny because you pointed out, and I never really thought about it in the context of having this in vivo, you know, in the moment slash outcome driven visualization. But you know what? You've given me a modification to my my visualization techniques. But it, well, you've given me that, yeah. honestly, right? yeah, by, but, by but talking I, about going through the neurons, right? But I never thought about it in yeah. that context. It just it just was the natural thing for me to see because I knew. And, and there is a, a term, it's a concept known of neuro, it's called neuroplasticity. Yeah. And essentially what the brain does is when, and it's not just strokes, it can be anything when something happens to the brain. The brain's amazing. The brain will find a way to create new neural pathways and yeah. it does it automatically. But I mean, that was, that was where I was visualizing. I was really like, you know, adding a dimension of meaning to the neuroplasticity and, and kind of in my mind seeing it happen in real time. How did how quickly did you go from eighty hours a week to twenty five hours a week? Was it immediate? Yeah. Okay. You're writing a book. You've got a consumer product now. You've got this team you're managing. Everything else. How are you doing that in in twenty five hours? Do you and and I mean I guess part and parcel with that question. I hate asking two in a row, but I'm kind of going to do it. Um, how do you do it? And and I wonder, does it get harder to do it the further away from the stroke that you get? Does that make sense? Like the further that that memory of this this event is in the past, does it does it pull on like ah, what's twenty six hours this it week? It didn't to me, okay. Because one, I made a commitment to my wife, and I wanted to be here for my kids. Yeah, you know, like I, 
I've used a few of my nine lives already, yeah. you know, for sure. And, it sounds and, like it. And yeah. Maybe I've got six left. I don't know. But I definitely, you know, thought it had me rethinking. Now, admittedly, when I was sitting down on day one, I'm like, okay, like I'm a 25er a week guy. Like I had no idea what that was going to look like. But I knew that there were some things that I had to do immediately. So number one was I had to get very granular about my time, almost obsessive about my time. And so before the stroke happened, like if you had reached out to me on LinkedIn, hundred, I, I almost, you know, who you, no matter who you were probably, if there was a business opportunity that came of, I, I, I take that call. I'd let's set up a zoom and let's do yeah. it. And so I was like, you know, a, a, a LinkedIn junkie, you know, setting up meetings with everybody. And so the first thing I did was I thought about how do I govern my time better? And so I created a filter and the filter goes like this and everybody's filter is different, but the filter for me is a, if I'm going to have a meeting with somebody, somebody's going to get on my calendar a, do they care more about helping people than they care about revenue? Mm. If they don't get that, they're going automatically, right? Makes sense. B, you know, are they the Batman to my Robin? Are they the chocolate to my peanut butter? Can what they've created and what I've created in concert be better together than they are by themselves? Yeah. And then if they get those two, because, you know, we're still generating revenue and that's the best way to impact the world is to make a lot of money, right? Sure. Does the, the merging of our two things, like can a joint venture or partnership in some way, can our stuff together represent an eight-figure opportunity for both of us? An eight-figure opportunity. Yeah. yeah. It, it used to be seven. Mm. I, I've upped it. Good for you. And uh, I added the zero before I even knew the GoBundance yeah. terminology, right? <laughs> Not us. That's Mark Moses, but yeah. <laughs> okay. And so that's right. <laughs> it was Mark Moses. So, um you know, and so that remarkably pared down who could get on my schedule. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry, I don't mean to cough. No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, so that was one thing I did. Yeah. And immediately like, that gave me a ton of time back. And, and in general, like my my approach to time is now it's it's like it's it's I've, I've gamified time. So mm. for example, so, yeah. Um, if you go to the grocery store, here's a good example. And then there's a bag of onions for like you get. Like, Two pounds of onions for $4, right? Yeah. Whatever onions cost. And then there's, you know, in the refrigerated section, a little box of diced onions. And, you know, like that's like half of an onion for like three bucks. Yeah. What's the better buy? Uh, well, the time versus uh, energy, Exactly, right? Yeah. right? And yeah. so before the stroke, I would probably have bought the onions in yeah. the big bag and, you know, because I love cooking. That's one of my one of my things. And so it's, that's one way. Like I'm looking everywhere. I got to have you talk to my wife because she's the opposite and it drives me up a wall. Like, you know, it'll be like uh, um, delivering groceries is $9. It's like it's $9. Just have right. them deliver the groceries. Well, right. it's easy if I go to store. It's a half hour of your time, that's right. 40 that's minutes right. of your time, right? And so. so, you know, it's like, okay, so now, like I started listening to audiobooks. Yeah. you know, when I'm on my bike, you know, instead of just sitting down and reading a book, like that's combining two things. And then I, I, I kind of like, find ways that I can track that and like, oh, cool. Like I saved all this time. Like when you look at your receipt of the grocery store and because you bought stuff on sale, 
This is how much money you save. Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing that I just and I'm I'm always fanatical about time. The other thing that I did, which was <coughs> excuse me, really important, is everybody's got a number, right? Like yeah. you, you guys do this as part of the abundance thing in the one sheet, is you're figuring out you figure out your net worth and your, you know, these percentages of these different various things. At the end of the day, you need to know how much money you need. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, and I'm talking to an audience where everybody's got these horizontal, you know, income investments, and that's really great. But at the end of the day, once you hit your number, then you have to really think about beyond that. What are you giving up? in the work that you have to put forth to generate the extra, mm. right? And particularly if it's vertical income, if it's a business that you're involved in, are you giving up time? And if you give up that time, what does that mean? Does that mean one less session on the treadmill, mm-hmm. one less date with your wife, one less, you know, family game night with your kids? What does it mean? And so be very clear on what that cost is. For me, once I knew that number, it became very easy for me to say, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Right. And so I can really hone in further Mm -hmm. on how to best spend the time. The next thing that I did is I created this system. I call them my four D's, right? Four D's. Four D's. And so they're do, delegate, delay, or drop. So if you have an activity that's placed in front of you, if it's a really mission critical and only you can do it, do it. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's and if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no, right? But if it's a hell no, then it can go down these other things. Is it something that's mission critical, but it doesn't have to be done today? Right. Delay. Delay. Right. If it's mission critical, but you could hire a VA to do it, delegate. delegate. Sure. And if it's just a waste of time, drop it. Hmm. So that further helped me really take my hours down and and be much more focused on what I'm doing and. and the delegate in particular is important because I then became more, I've always been of the mindset and this was just like the Larry Bird mindset or like I can do this better than anybody else because sure. it's, I know it, it's me, it's my stuff. I learned to give up stuff yeah. and to trust, bring in good people, but trust that I can have other people do the stuff that I only thought that I could do myself. And so by putting all of these things into place, it has changed everything, right? Like I, the quality of the people who get on my schedule. Now, you know, if somebody meets two of the three, they might be my friend. We might watch a football game together, right? But there's no way in hell they're getting on my work calendar. Gotcha. And so I've really narrowed these things down, and it's it's been awesome. Because Amazing. now like I stop working at 2 o'clock, and from 2 to 3.30, that's just my time. Mm. It's uh, It's selfish time. And so if there's a movie on Netflix I want to watch or, you know, like I do competitive barbecues. So I might be tinkering with a sauce recipe or something it's like a whole other I, podcast. It is right. Like I'd love to have a barbecue podcast with you. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, because what happens then at three 30, my kids come home yeah. and then it's homework. Yeah. And then we decide what we're going to have for dinner. And we cook the dinner as a family. That's really fun. Like my kids are eight and six. So they do different things that are age appropriate to help prep the meal sure. and bath time and story time. And then Fridays are just for me and my wife. And what, what is really cool is by carving out a piece of my day and it sounds counterintuitive at first, like, well, you've got all this, you've got this really finite amount of schedule and you've built in time for just like playing games and nonsense. Yeah, I have. Yeah. 
because I'm more present as a dad. Mm. I'm more present as a husband. I never, I, I've uninstalled my work email app from my phone. Like, if there's something significant, like, my people know how to get a hold of me, sure, right? Sure. But it's so liberating to do that. And I would encourage you, you know, you guys are going to feel like, you no. know, going through a little bit of withdrawal, right? Like, what's going on in my business? It's so cool to just sit there at dinner and not think about anything but the four of us, my wife and my kids and sitting there. And, you know, so it's, um, you know, the stroke was probably the best thing that ever happened yeah. to me, you know, and I'm really grateful for it. But it doesn't have to happen to everybody. Well, that's the thing, lives, right? right? Like yeah. when I, when I would go on stage, like when I did my TEDx and I would talk about my car accident story and how that changed, you know, my focus from being a brick to, you know, focusing on helping others. People watch that, Jamie, and like, well, that's a really cool story. Nobody in their right mind would hear me say that and then be like, oh, geez, if I don't become more altruistic like this guy, I'm going to break my back in a car accident too, right? right like right. it's insanity to even propose that. But when I talk to a business owner and I say, my, I say what happened, yeah. their eyes get big like silver dollar pancakes because it's relatable. Mm. Because who listening to this hasn't worked more hours than they should, yeah. right? Yeah. We've all done it. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's created a whole new platform for me that I'm so excited about. And then I, you know, I'm passionate about helping entrepreneurs, you know, and it's so in line with what you guys are doing in GoBundance, right? It's, yeah. it's being able to live the quality of life, be a good dad, give back, do all of these things. But you really can only do that if you're managing your time. 100%. Wow, man. Wow. I, I would love to go deep into the into the work-life balance assessment and all of that stuff, but why don't you do this for me? So, well, I, I want to learn where people can find this, obviously, yeah. but before you go there, give us just a couple of nuggets. So, if I'm interested, like, ah, oh, this sounds interesting. The story's compelling. I'm going to go do this thing. Like, give me an idea of the outcome that I get if I, if I go through the assessment. Does that make sense? Like, what does it tell me? What does it teach me? So, basically, what this is going to do is give you a roadmap. I know you guys love roadmaps. We do. Yeah, you do. So, basically, what this is, what this does is it it empirically looks at 21 dimensions that are associated with success in life. Not success in work, success in life. Mm. You know, your relationship with your spouse, your, you know, relationship with money, how you interact with people, how you handle stress. And so what it does is then the algorithm will take that data and interpret that on a whole lot of different points and give you a very customized blueprint of what that looks like. Mm. And so from that, you've got essentially what's like this 35-page guidebook, so to speak, where you learn about yourself. Now, we've, we're doing something really cool with this, and this was really, really good customer feedback we've gotten. This group, I think, would get the assessment. Consumers in general, uh, we found, had gotten a little bit confused by it. And uh, not confused by what the data is, but, you know, they don't understand the difference between, you know, a scientifically rigorously constructed tool like we've got and the, you know, teen people, what Game of Thrones character are you kind of quiz that they could take online. Sure, sure. And so, you know, in our messaging, we've made some changes there. And what we've also done and we're going live with, I don't know when this is going to air, it might be live by the time it is, but we've created um, a course, we're calling it the Take Control of Your Life course, which focuses on cognitive behavior therapy training and neuroscience to help you reframe those cognitive distortions. And I think this group is probably, 
you know, so far ahead of the game in terms of that. It's that's really more for kind of the general yeah. public. But yeah, um, if you want to just take out check out the tool by itself, please. It's at seekyourpowers.com. Seekyourpowers.com. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Wow, man. Amazing. Incredible story. We didn't even get into the backbreaking story. We'll go watch the TEDx talk for yeah, that, yeah, it yeah. sounds like, right? What uh, where should people follow you, learn more about you, your products, your 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 company, everything? Yeah, sure. So the mothership is drrichardschuster.com. And uh, because my name is often misspelled. I bought every possible domain <laughs> configuration of my main all pointing S-H-O-O, to the right. Right, right, right. right, right. So, but the, the actual one is drrichardshuster.com. And that has the links to, you know, my company, my charity. It has the links to my podcast, The Daily Helping. Everything's there. Beautiful. Dr. Richard, amazing, man. So glad we did this. Me too, man. This was awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that one to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast and you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. On Air Brand.